0: I was very excited when Matt asked me to, to speak um, with Fall Revival. Um, and when he called me and he said, hey, would you uh, be willing to teach one night for our Fall Revival? And I said, yeah, sure. What are, y'all, what are y'all doing? He goes, we're gonna preach through Colossians every night. We're gonna focus on a chapter. And I said, dibs on chapter three. <laughs> um, and that worked out really well. Um, and before we start, I'll go ahead and tell you I did. I cornered Ben one day and told him, I um, I basically, you know, bullied him. I took, not, didn't take his lunch money. I took chapter 4, verse 1 also. Um, so we'll be, going, you know, we'll be going through verse 1 of chapter 4 as well. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to share. Uh, not nervous to share. Uh, it's, it's always a tough thing because there's, um, as you'll probably see as we get through this, this has been already started it, the most impactful section of Scripture for the past five years, and um, it's very difficult to condense it into a single lesson. Um, it's actually it's it's a, a lot of this is the result of multiple multiple conversations, multiple um, times spent in prayer just seeking, uh, just really trying to understand God and his you know in his will not in a mystic sense of like God what do you want me to do with my life but really just understanding where are you now what do you want now today um, tomorrow and um, and just really just, just asking him just show me show me the thing that I can hang on to every day um, and then as he showed me that he 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 gave me, I think, a glimpse into something that I'd heard about and I've heard preached about, but I never understood, and, I've, and I start to see now the gap, um, a great need, I think, not just within, uh, within the working environment, but even within the church and how we approach this particular topic we're going we're gonna to address tonight. Um, I will be focusing primarily on um, application um, specific to the workplace, but it's absolutely much more broad than that. Um, the reason why I want to focus in on the workplace is because I think it's the it's the forgotten mission field. Um, and I think it's the place where, sadly, today it's still easy for Christians to sit back and justify the dismissal of this time spent Monday through Friday, 40 to 50 hours a week, roughly 5,685 hours a year that we spend at work. And set it aside as unimportant or un unimportant specific to eternity. Um, so it's been a great burden. Um, I've always wondered, you know, people have said things about, I've heard them talk about Adrian Rogers and having the, the prophet's mantle and things like that. And I don't, I don't claim that, but it, if this is one of the most heavy things I've carried, but I love it. Um, I'm going to pull it together right now. <laughs> so um, what we'll do is um, we are, it's going to, I want to break it up really into two sections. Um, the first section, we're going to look at the, uh, the distinction and there's how there is meant to be a distinction. And then secondly, when applied, what that distinction should look like, the fruit of that distinction. Um, and again, you know, kind of looking back, if you've not been here, we weren't here Sunday night, but I, I had a chance to meet with Matt and the guys before to hear kind of where they were coming from. So, um, you know, chapter one, really the focus of chapter one is the supremacy, the ultimacy of Christ. You know, that whole section in there where he is the image of the first, you know, he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, and this awesome you know not not a full doxology so to speak but he, paul just starts just praising god and everything that he is um but placing christ exactly where he's meant to be at the head of the body of believers i mean he is our head without him we are dead um it's only through him that we have hope it's only through him that we have life everything was by him for him through him um it's all about him in chapter 2, it moves on to you and Christ. Um, you see the re- repetition of this phrase all through chapter 2, verse 9, in him. Uh, verse 10, in him. 11, in him. Verse 12, buried with him. Um, with him. Verse uh, 13, made alive together with him. Uh, and so you see this, it's, it's focusing now. It's not, there's Christ and he is ultimate but he has also moved toward you, and now there's you and Christ. Chapter 3 goes to the next step and just asks the question, now what? There's Christ, there's you in Christ, what's next? And chapter 3 really starts to define what's next for the believer. Um, And he starts out this way in in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, everything we just talked about, If you have been raised with Christ, raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where he is, seated at the right hand of God. Right off the bat here, he says, if this is you, okay, if this applies to you, we know who Christ is. We know what he has done to be reconciled together with you. He's moved the hostilities away through the cross so that he can have a relationship with you. If this is you, keep seeking him. And then he goes into these distinctions. If we claim Jesus Christ, if we say we belong to him and we say that we put our faith in him and our trust in him, there should be a difference between us and the rest of the world. There should be this obvious distinction between the worldly and the otherworldly, For speaking of us. Um, and so he continues that idea of seeking things that are above. And he says in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. So already you start to see this division. We need to be mindful of eternity. We need to be mindful of God and his word. Mindful of the presence of his spirit. Mindful of the spiritual warfare that goes on. Mindful of these things specific to God and his nature and his character and his love for us and his grace for us and the forgiveness that he's given us. And not just on these earthly things, and we can you know list off just rattle earthly things and that's basically anything that's temporal anything that's base um, anything that has no value for eternity um, and we and it's different for different people as far as how we seek those because I mean for me i I'm, I'm, I don't bash uh, but um, I'm not a I'm not really a sports fan, so for me, there's just kind of like, eh, might as well be watching checkers or something. <laughs> um, it's, it's a game, so I'm like, for me, that's just that. But I've got things that I enjoy. But even in that, I know that the things that I enjoy, hobby wise, like superheroes or other things, they have a place over here. The ultimate, the the primary focus is to be given to to Jesus. Um, Verse 3, and he. this is really the linchpin of this whole verse. You're dead. And it really doesn't get any more clear than that. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Again, this is the result of you being with Christ, in him, with him, together with him. Therefore, since you're dead... And we, I think uh, yesterday he touched on that, you know, dead is dead. You know, dead people can't do anything because they're dead. Um, And that's true. Um, We could not do anything apart from Christ. He has made us alive together with him. Um, Because we're dead, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body also dead to, and Paul loves lists, and I actually like that he loves his list because he really starts pokes on a couple of very specific things. Sometimes it's a little general, but sometimes he gets really, really, really specific. And it hurts in a good way. Um, consider your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. He's, and basically all of those things that he just listed are the result of idolatry, self before Savior. Um, anytime we put anything above Christ. Even a good thing. It corrupts us. We ruin it. Um, I love my wife. But if I exalt her over the, over Christ in my life. I've made her an idol. So I'm damaging our relationship. I'm hurting the the connection that she and I have. I'm hurting my relationship with my daughter. Because that's going to impact her. Um, And so there's the the effects of idolatry are widespread, and you can see that in a person's immorality, impurity, evil desires, greed. All those things derive from uh, Christ being dethroned from a person's life. Um, Verse 6, for it's because of all these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked. Again, you see this division of what used to be and what is because um, there was christ there was you with christ he called you um, he took a dead thing and made it alive so you were dead you used to be all these things and now you're alive so you used to walk this way so the things he just listed in Im- Im- uh, immorality impurity passion evil desire greed that's who you used to be you you used to walk in that path that's uh when you were living in them, when you were dead to Christ and alive to the world, that means you were basically alive to all that, those things that are not of him. Um, but when you died to those things and are alive to him, you're dead to all the stuff that the world has to offer. In them you once walked, you were li- living in them, verse 8. But now, also put them all aside. Anger, <coughs> wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self, again, that old self putting on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all in it all. And so he makes a very obvious statement here that says, this is who you used to be. Once upon a time, Before Christ, this is who you were. You were a person of immorality, impurity, evil desires, greed, serving yourself. um, Filled with anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, lying. Those are the things of your past. Christ is now your future. We have to continue seeking him just like you he exhorted us to do in verse 1, keep seeking that. Um, it's not as much of an issue I've, that I've heard about in Bible-believing churches where there's just the hallelujah, you're saved, and then now we don't care. Um, there's a really good focus on discipleship. There's a really good focus on growing deeper um, in your understanding of the Lord and your walk with the Lord, and that's, that's amazing, and we, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that really prioritizes that to see people grow um, in their relationship with the Lord. So to keep putting on the new self, to being renewed to a true knowledge according to him, Jesus Christ. Um, And he talks about too, there's no distinction, talks about the unity that we have in Christ, the enjoyment of the family that we have, people from various backgrounds, circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Greek, Barbarian, Scythian slave freeman it doesn't really matter there's no economic status no social status no no division of society that we can find within these walls a person doesn't walk into this room two billion dollars richer than me and all of a sudden they've got a better seat at Jesus's table that's not the way it works Um, you don't walk into this room owning great land and having people work for you and you're a higher place in his kingdom it's just not how it works That's not who Christ is. It's Christ. He is all and in all. So already that's pretty heavy. We're only halfway through. Um, But again, this is the premise for one of the things that probably breaks my heart the most. Um, And we'll get into that later. Uh, Verse 12. So you saw in the first several verses... um, after, so verse basically verses 4 through 11 shut it off the old self the old way the way you used to live once lived everything that you used to value and prioritize put those off and now he switches to put these on um, you know I love somebody somebody uh, defined repentance one day you know you, as a kid you know learning about god and you know somebody handed you a in systematic theology book when you were 19 and you, you've lost your mind. Um, but uh, trying to understand repentance, and it was, I can't remember who it was, but somebody simply defined it as it's not just turning away from sin. It's turning toward God because it's not a complete repentance. If you only turn from sin and quit doing things, you've got to turn toward God and start doing other things. Mm. And um, and this is what Paul says. This is a giving up of that old self of putting all this aside. Yeah, there are things in us that are habitual. Um, it's easy to to slide back into those habits. There's a fancy term for that for Southern Baptists: backslidden. I mean, you slide <laughs> backwards in your walk with your faith because the habits are deep. I mean, we've taken lifetimes to build habits that are horribly grotesque when it comes to our walk with the Lord, but it's It takes Christ and his mercy and the spirit with us to break those habits and create new habits to enrich our life with him. And so here's Paul saying, if you're struggling with anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, focus on these things. This is what you focus on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ ritually dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts, in your hearts to God. And he sums it all up in 17. Basically, anything you do, regardless of what it is, word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You represent him. What it means to be when you do something in somebody else's name. You ever have your dad tell you that? Like, boy, when you go out there, you better behave because you're, you represent this family. You represent me. Because if they look at you in your bad behavior... That reflects on me. I didn't really think that mattered the first time. But then when I got the punishment, I realized it didn't matter a lot. Um, and that's a heavy thought to think. Whatever it is we do, word or deed, so, and those are outward things. That's not whatever, whatever you do in thought or feeling. That's all inward. Those are things that we, can, we deal with all, all the time. This is the things you say and the things you do. These are actions and words, outward expressions. Remember who you represent and give thanks through him to God the Father. Um, so Paul gives us this whole, not really not just a list here, it's like he gives <laughs> us a list with embellishments and just says, this is, this is what you need to focus on, regardless. Um, and I like that because the whatever in verse seventeen was probably the part that frustrated me the most um, when it seemed the thing that I was chasing. Actually, I didn't need my phone because I, I, will, I will get carried away. What time? Well, you said eight o'clock, eight thirty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just um, um, yeah. who, who needs time? We're good. Okay. Um, somebody, just give me a. If it gets late, give me a flag at like 7:25. Somebody. Um, I'm. I'm just giving you a fair warning here. This is five years worth of uh, breaking and rebuilding. Um, so 17, uh, very very brief history because I don't know that you'll understand. I'm just going to cry through it. Um, I don't know that you'll understand truly why this hurts so much. In a good way, without understanding this, um, ministry was all I sought. And um, I remember moving to North Carolina, met Jenna. That was a good thing. And, um, but ministry was always the thing I sought from when I was 16 is when I stepped out into what I I thought was a call to preach. Of course, you know, even then it wasn't a thought of a call to preach in general. It was to be a pastor, a vocational full-time pastor, some kind of a minister. Um, and that was my thought. That was the, the whole point of everything that I did from that point on was to get there um, I had opportunities to to serve in a multiple part-time roles, youth ministry, children's ministry, music ministry. Um, I ended up in a full-time role four years before moving up here at a church, first as a children's minister and a worship leader doing both, but then they asked me to step over to youth, and so I ended up doing youth ministry and worship ministry full-time, um, up until the point where I finally graduated college. It's another story. Oh, it only took me eight and a half years. Um Got out of college, and then seminary was finally in view. You know, seminary is like the gold at the end of the rainbow for the persons you know really striving to be in the ministry. I had researched the seminaries. Southeastern was the one I liked. Their missional focus. I was I didn't really feel called to be a missionary, but I liked how they were. Everything was geared toward being on mission, um, because as a, even as a pastor, that's what I wanted to be on mission, regardless. Um. So I came to North Carolina, met Jenna. We got married somewhere in there. Um, but even even in that, developing of that relationship with her and the still pursuing a ministry of some kind, of and it, it shifted to biblical counseling. Um, I loved walking with people through the hurt, through the pain, um, see their growth, because really it's in the hurt that we learn the most. Um, <laughs> I already, you know, that was, God was about to take me through some really, really sharp pain, and um, so Jen and I got married, still trying to finish school, working full time. We were ready for a family. God said, ya, here's your baby. Um, it really happened just like that. And uh, so we found out we were pregnant, but we had already started talking to this church in Bristol. Moved to Bristol to what we thought was going to be like our lifetime ministry. Um, it only lasted 10 months. One of the most frustrating things is to be in a church where the pastor serves himself. And it, um, I never encountered, I, I really am just going to cry through it. It's just going to be ugly for a minute. Um, I, I've never experienced that before. I've been very gracious, very very blessed to have served under very godly, humble men up until that point. And, um, looking back, I'm thankful, very thankful because God used that whole experience. The church itself was great. The people were fantastic. The pastor, his church, his way, his plan. And if you weren't in line, there was not a spot for you. And it wasn't that I wasn't trying to get in line, but if even if you brought If he said, hey, we're going to do this program, pray about it. I prayed about it. I don't know if I could get behind that program. And here's why. And here's an alternative idea. Pray about it again and let me know. Prayed about it again. Same answer. Okay, this guy's not going to step in line. And ushered us out of the church. Newborn baby. No hope of anything else. No job, no home. But God provided those things within, I mean, made one phone call. (laughs) Well, two phone calls within an hour. God provided us again with a place to live and a, and a job. Um, he provided. And it was clear that He brought us there just to bring us back right, right quick. It hurt. I was, I was, I was very upset, very mad. Not at God per se, but just like, what in the world? What am I doing now? Like, what? What's this life supposed to look like now, moving forward? Uh, ministry was the thing I. Wanted. And that was the key. What was the verse? Lay aside all these things. Evil desires. Greed. And you may think well, it's not greedy to want to be a full time minister. It is if that's the thing you tell God you have to have. Or you're not going to be happy. Hmm. Because in those moments. In his fatherly love and wisdom. He will break you. And I'm thankful he did. Because. He's shown me these past five years a way to minister. I don't know that I would have found otherwise. I don't know that I would have truly understood otherwise. And it hit me here in verse 17. Reading through the whole chapter, understanding there ought to be a difference, understanding the things that I should put off, and understanding the things that I should put on. Getting to verse 7 whatever you do. I was back in the granite warehouse. And I hated what I did. I mean, I hated. And General will tell you, I came home most days exhausted. Not because it was such... I mean, physical labor. I'm a mule. I'm a very oversized forklift of a mule (laughs) when it comes to manual labor. And it wasn't the labor. It was mentally I was beating myself to death all day. Because I felt like I failed. And I hated where I was. So I couldn't deal with that part. Whatever, I can't I can't even think about that right now, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus. I was, was a little convicting. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm, I'm kind of grumpy. I'm kind of snarky. I don't like where I'm at. So I'm not really representing you well. And I got to, to be thankful. And that's where God just floored me. Because he immediately took me back to being in Tennessee. Uh, meeting... Jenna's mom before I met Jenna, right? She picked me before Jenna did. And um, so how God orchestrated the events for me to meet the Thorntons, to meet Jenna, to be a part of that family, to be in seminary, to go to Bristol, to come back and how he provided in that, to come back to this job that I had before and came back to, and then to look at him and say, how dare you? And how he provided. That's where it broke my heart. Because I was shaming myself. And spitting in his face. And his goodness. Because I was not representing him well. And it was all because I had a lack of gratitude for what was going on right now. When I realized that at that point. It made sense. These are the things you have to put off. These are the things you have to put on. Whatever you do. And at that point I realized. Whatever was not whatever. I don't care. But literally anything you do. There's not. I love Matt. So don't take this the wrong way. There's nothing. Particularly holy. About the role of a pastor. Compared to the role of a janitor. If that person. Is also indwelled with the spirit. Of a living God. That makes sense. Whatever you do in word or deed, you represent the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, it broke my heart in the granite warehouse. So I had to ask the question, okay, God, I'm thankful. I, I know that. I'm without a doubt. And because I'm, I'm grateful and I don't want to think to, to cheapen or lessen anything that you've done clearly provided for me, I need to represent you well. How do I do that? I didn't really know, um, and I knew that it had to be there because whatever you do, that applies to what, it, I mean, I look up the Greek, it means whatever, okay? <laughs> there's no there's no loophole, whatever in the church, whatever in it here, it's anything, literally. And um, so the question was there, how? How do I approach this? And I started asking questions. I started looking for resources, looking for tools, looking for studies, and I was wonderfully frustrated with the lack of um I called a, a buddy of mine a former pastor friend and asked him the same question and I was I was really disappointed by the hollowness of his answer well if you feel a burden to serve Jesse you need to get back in the church and I was so mad because um, I'm like I don't know that I can I don't know that that's what if that's not what God gives me anymore I have to account for now he may never give me a role in the church. I don't know that I would take one if it came up. Um, for that reason, not because I don't trust the role in the church. Or tr- if he provided it, of course, I would trust it and follow. But I don't have to have that now. I don't have to have that to know that God has given me a very specific ministry. And that does not change even if my job changes or my role changes. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. And I'm going to tell you why here in just a minute, because we're going to get into the rest of the chapter. So that's the premise. And you understand, this is kind of heavy. This is a big deal. It's five years worth of, of walking with the Lord and being, you know, grace graciously broken by, by a God who loved me too much to let me hang on to the thing I thought I had to have. He used Bristol to, to break my presupposition of what my ministry had to look like. I put him in a box. God, I know I'm called to minister and it's got to look like this. And he said, I've got news for you. It ain't got to look like anything. It can look like anything, whatever you do. And he showed me some specifics and we're going to get into those. I don't want to gloss over this, but here's what Paul has done again. He said, Christ is supreme. Christ reached out to you. Now you're with Christ. And here's what needs to happen. Continue seeking after him. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And just continue driving forward toward that relationship. We didn't have to earn him. It was a free gift. But by golly, we ought to walk every day like we are earning him daily. Does that make sense? Nothing I do during the day makes, makes him look at me more or give me more grace. The grace and the mercies are there every morning brand new. But I want to walk worthy of that call. That means I need to step up. I need to move in a direction that's consistent with him and his nature and his word. And he gives some very specific examples. Wives, be subject to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In all things, for this is pleasing. Fathers, don't exacerbate your children, so they will not lose heart. I have heard countless sermons on that section. I mean it's it's wonderful I have no doubt that there will be sections of that Exerted when Paul Tripp does his parenting Conference (laughs) Um, I have not Heard a great deal Of sermons about the next few verses And this is This is where I will spend most The rest of our time Our remaining 52 minutes I'm just kidding (laughs) Um, A little bit of cultural Context here when the, when the scripture here in Paul speaks of slaves, yeah, there were slaves in the time, but there are also bond slaves, meaning like I'm a bond slave to the bank until I pay off my house. It's that kind of a relationship. I'm indebted to a person. I don't really go to work for them like on the bank's land, but if it were back in the day, it would be that. I'd be working for the bank that owns my house until I get my house back, until I pay it off. So I go to work in general and give them the money that I earn to pay it off. And so it's that same kind of relationship. But he, he addresses here three specific relationships. And actually, these relationships completely exist today, and they're found in every single workplace you look at, unless it's a single person working for themselves. But there again, they're, unless they're bipolar or split personalities or something. <laughs> um, but with any normal working environment where there's an owner, employees, etc., There are three very basic relationships that exist, and God addresses each one. Um, In my my company, for example, I'll give give you this as an example. I'm a supervisor, so I go to work every day, and I have a team of six that report directly to me. So I'm I'm responsible for six people. Um, I have about four peers who are about the same level as I am, with either a team of their own or they do a very specific job. They don't necessarily have anyone they report to, but they, they're directly related to my role and how I operate in the organization. So I've got those who are underneath me, my direct reports, I've got my peer-to-peer relationships, and then I have people that I answer to. My overseers, my manager, my boss, the owner, the CEO, I mean, who, whomever it is. Those are the three basic relationships. So if you see this, see a person here, this is you. There are those who are under you. There are those who are on your level. And then there are those who are above you. Does that make sense? Every person in here is probably one of those three. There's no distinction. Even if you own your own business, then you're the boss. If you don't have anybody that works for you, then you're still the boss. Um, So the relationships are there. God addresses each one of these specifically. And, and I didn't really dawn on me until I started to understand and ask the question, God, how can I serve you and minister for you in the workplace? And the first couple of things he said in verse 17 was, First and foremost, you got to do good work. Whatever you do, in word or deed, you represent the Lord. So the output of my work has to be as though I represent the Lord. Meaning, if I were to hand somebody a finished product of my work, And they ask me, are you a Christian? I mean, not that I have to draw, I don't draw crosses on it or anything. But can you imagine Jesus building a table and it being wobbly? I mean, it's a weird thing to think about. Remember, Jesus was raised in the trade of carpentry. He was taught to be a craftsman, to build things, to fix and mend things. Can you imagine him building a house, putting it together and getting to the corner piece and it be off? Can you imagine him, "Ah, you know, it's fine, whatever, just just tie it up, we'll be good. Let's go, guys, lunchtime. Can you imagine Jesus, the same nature and the same being, doing carpentry, who also in the very beginning said, "He looked and saw everything he created, and behold, it was very good. That's the same person. So I can't imagine Jesus being a slipshod person tradesman i can't imagine him being a shady tradesman you know nobody likes to deal with used car salesmen. nobody likes to deal with technicians when they come to the house because you always feel like they're talking way over you and how do i understand all this stuff and oh whatever you say i just know it's gonna cost me 500 um i can't imagine jesus being the type of person who would take advantage of even if it was a corrupt business He would have been the the exception to all of those rules. He's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. The work he would have done was very good. He would have represented his father constantly. And he would have always been thankful. And so that really hit me hard. First and foremost, I had to do good work. Because if I'm going to represent the Lord well, I've got to be able to turn in something that's good at the end of the day. Regardless of what you put your hands to. Thankfulness is the key. That's a whole other sermon. Um, but I want to get back to these relationships because this will close out the chapter for us. Slaves, so this is the people that if you report to anybody, if you report to anybody, like you've got a manager, an overseer, a boss, a principal, a head nurse, I mean, whomever it is, um, slaves in all things, obey those who are your, earth, your masters on earth, not with external service, As those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In some translation, it says lip service. Does anybody have a translation that says lip service? No? I forget which one it was. But I thought that was funny, too, because you know you've got the people at work when the boss comes out and says, hey, guys, we really need to do this. Let's tighten the ship. We've got we've to continue driving forward productivity. We've got to increase our efficiencies. We've really got to help. This month This has been good. We want to see it be great. We've got to keep moving forward. And everybody's like, uh-huh, 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 yes, sir, yes, sir. And then as soon as the guy leaves, like, can you believe this guy? <laughs> who is this man or woman? Who, whomever is like, I could do their job better than them. And then you just start, you know, you're running your mouth constantly toward that person. In that moment, if that's us, if that's who we are in the workplace, when the boss comes to talk to us, when they leave, we're talking about them to anybody else, and it's definitely not positive. Are we being sincere? If we tell them, yes, no, yes, sir, I will get to that right away, are we being sincere? Do we mean it? Do we serve them with the intention of being a blessing to them? And that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to do, especially if your manager is not a Christian. My manager, I do know this for a fact. My manager and his family, and not to put it too lightly, escaped Mormonism. He has a very bitter taste in his mouth for organized religion generally. It is a humbling thing. for know, Knowing that, for him to come to me one day in the middle of the warehouse floor and say, I just got a call from my wife. Her mother just had a stroke Will you please pray for me? Mm. I've never felt more conviction in my wife to pray right then. It was truck, literally truck right over here being unloaded with granite. Got buzz saws in the background, forklifts going by, and we're standing right there in the middle praying for his wife and his his Mm. mother-in-law. It's humbling when you know that they don't see you. They see Christ. We can't do that if we're not sincere. We can't do that if we're two-faced in our serving. them. We can't do that if we allow entitlement, if we allow bitterness, if we allow any of those earthly things to take a dominating role in our heart. We deny God the opportunity to use us then. We have to serve with sincerity, sincerity of heart, Because we know ultimately we don't serve that person. We serve God. And if God saw fit to put us under that person. There's a reason. And that's enough to deserve our respect. They don't have to be honorable for us to honor them. They don't have to be respectable for us to pay them respect. We just have to be who we say we are. Hmm. Verse 23. He, He echoes... Seventeen. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive a reward of the inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. I use this one to think about. What about the people that you don't answer to? Hmm? I mean, of course, you're 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 a you're a uh, an underling, a subordinate. You've got somebody you answer to. You know, there's the authority that comes naturally with that role, and so. Even if you don't like them or you're not sincere, if they say yes, you have to oblige. So at the end of the day, there's there's a relinquishing that has to happen, or you're gonna lose your job. You don't have to do that with peers. The co supervisor from another team comes over to me and he says, Hey, I need you to do this. I could say, I don't work for you. You're not my boss. I don't even you don't even report to me. You need to get out of my general area. Um But if I'm going to apply this verse, whatever you do, do my work heartily is for the Lord. Then any opportunity to serve or to help or to be a blessing to others is an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. So the guy comes to me, he's got a problem already. I have an opportunity because how I respond to his issue, even if it's a work specific issue, if I respond with sincerity and kindness and go back to that list, put on all those things, patience, bearing with one another. Um, all if I embody that toward him and how I respond to a work-specific issue, he will not forget it. All of a sudden you have set yourself apart when he go, he knows, like, man, I hate going to rich when there's a problem, or I hate going to so-and-so when there's a problem, because anytime you take a problem to them, they just blow up, man. They hate it. But if you go to Jesse. He, he doesn't blow up. He's gracious. He's exce- he's, he seem, even though the, it's an issue and it's something that's really not his responsibility, he'll shoulder it with you and try to figure it out and help you find a solution. It's simple. But it's, it's, by, it's basically the work equivalent of giving somebody bread or water. Hmm. You're, you're, you're sustaining them. You're encouraging them. In, that, in their moment of need, you're meeting a need. Even if it's an inconvenience, even if if it takes you out of the way, pulls you aside, takes extra time, and I have to stay 15 minutes later because I had to help them with this. But in that 15 minutes, I could very well have opened the door for future conversations, future questions, times for them to come and ask me to pray for them, just like my manager. Hmm. But I can't do that if I'm not doing my work heartily as for the Lord If it's only for men, then I'm only going to answer to to the rules of men. At that point, I'm living and dying by the employee handbook. And I should be living and dying by this book. So, slaves, be sincere in your service to your earthly masters. Whatever you do, work in a way so that your peers can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be the light, be salt to them. And this is where I'm stealing from Ben. Verse, uh, we're going to not not that 25 is not important, but I want to finish out the relationships. Um, chapter four, verse one. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, believe me. Um, it's just it's it's humbling. Um, I had a guy. He's a you can call him a glorified janitor. He works on the maintenance team. His name is Bruce. Um, Bruce struggles. He's a, he's a super hard worker, nice guy. He's just, he has a really hard time understanding very basic, understanding things beyond very basic concepts. Um, maybe not the brightest bulb in the pack, but buddy, he, he glows consistently and he, he's a solid, he's a nice guy. He's not a believer. I think he's also in, in Mormon church. Um, but he came up to me one day, and uh, just—he doesn't even work for me. But he said, I, "I just want to let you know, man, I appreciate you." I'm like, oh, "Thank you, Bruce." And, you know, why, why, why did you want to tell me that? Just, just out of curiosity. And he goes, "Well, I just—I see how you you're doing with your people and how you treat them and you you look after them." He goes, "Not not a lot of people out here do that." He goes, "I think I think you're one of the better ones," and it encouraged me. And then. I smelled halitosis. Um, you know that smell when you're hungry, right? Is that what's called halitosis? Is that what it is? Yeah, the bad breath in the mouth when you when you're hungry. What is it called? <laughs> we can look it up later. But it, I, I, I just I had this sense of smell, or or maybe it was the spirit just saying, "Hey, you smell something weird," but it's really me saying, "Ask him." And I did. I asked him. I said, "Bruce, if you had lunch, or had any food today?" And he's <laughs> And he got quiet for a second and kind of hung his head. He goes, No, I haven't. I happen to have a can of something, but little things. To provide for somebody, little things, whether it's a can of food or a little kindness, in a company where all that they're used to is being berated. It 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 has opened doors to people that Otherwise, would never come here and would never give, if, if they knew you were a Christian and knew you were trying to engage them in a conversation, never give you the time of day. But as a supervisor, how I interact with the people that do have to listen to me regardless, I can see that as an opportunity and lord over them and say, you, you just got to do it. I don't care what you think about it or not. You just got to do it. Or I could lead them. I could care for them, I could work with them, rather than step over them or step on them and exhort power, I could step down with them and say, we can figure this out, let's figure this out together, and the more I do that, the more open they become, the more engaged they become, the more curious they become, and it, um, it's an exciting thing, but also think too, the thing that I've been talking about here, applying this to the workplace It has not yet cost me any extra time or any extra money. All it's cost me is a little bit of my intentions and my attention. That's it. And I think for me, the convicting thing, the thing I told you, the thing that breaks my heart is to be in a workplace knowing full well that there is a former pastor in the next office who people hate dealing with because he's so embittered about being in that company. I know what's in his heart. I know where his heart is. I also know who, he's, who he ought to be representing. And I see not just them responding to that one man that way, but if they know he's a Christian, they're associating everything he is with Christ. Hmm. And that was the part probably that broke my heart the most is when I realized that it's not just me there. You're dead. Remember? Remember back to verse 3? You're dead. It's Christ. So if you take that into the workplace and people know, yeah, you went to church on Sunday. You posted about it. Yeah, I know this person is engaged in their church because they're always commenting and sharing from their church wall. You show up to work on Monday looking like you got baptized in vinegar and lost your best friend. And all of a sudden there's a disconnect between what you say you are and how you actually act. And people notice that. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons why I, the, I'm thankful they're there. But it's a testament to our failure in the workplace as Christians. Corporate chaplains of America are sending people into the workplace to minister and to serve and to walk alongside people to be salt and light in the workplace. Because Christians in the workplace aren't doing it. Hmm. I love my chapter. I, we've got one at our company His name's Gershon. Um, great guy. Had lunch with him today, actually. Um, and I told him, I said, man, I would love for you guys to lose your job. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't wish you ill, but I'm like, man, I want to see people so, I, fired up is the wrong word. I, I don't really think it's that. I want to see people so engaged in the whatever you do aspect of Colossians three seventeen, that they take Christ with them wherever they go, with whatever they do, so that as they're in the workplace, they shine like they're meant to shine. If that was the case, think how different this church would be. We'd have already built that building, Matt. I mean, I I, I want to be able to do. I've, I've been on a lot of week mission trips, and uh, not week like W E E K. W E E K. Um, <laughs> I've been on like mission trips well, a week at a time. I've been on service projects over the weekend. I've done those things. Um, But even then as a younger man it was go and do this thing and then come back. And get back in my little basket and go back to work. Um, And it was I just didn't know any better. But that's that's sadly that's probably where a lot of Christians in the workplace are. They're under a basket. They're not shining. They're afraid to shine. What if they don't like me? They don't like Christ first. Get over it. What if, you know, what if they, you know, start, you know putting that back on me? <laughs> That's good. If they know you're a Christian, they ought to expect something of Christ. Okay? <coughs> Especially if they're you know, if they know anything about church or God or the Bible. Um, so my heart is to see. See, see more of this in my life, but also to encourage and challenge others. Um, like I know right now, I've got one one guy on my team who is a believer, and this is even talking about this, it makes him uncomfortable because it means he he can't just unplug anymore at work. I know he's a believer, and I told him one day, I'm like, uh, I have to have this conversation with you. I need you to do a couple things. I need you to put your phone away more. I need you to pay attention. I need you to pick up your pace a little bit because you're you're sluggishly lagging. Um, but also know where your heart is. And I, just, I said, I need you to work as if the Lord's your boss, not me. Talk about daggers. How dare you? How dare you bring up what you know about my heart? How dare you expect me to be a Christian here? <laughs> and it was really that, almost that. I mean, he, he wasn't mean about it, but it was a look on his face like, True, <laughs> and, and it was a, it was a I wasn't trying to pin him against the wall, but I, I wanted him to know that I see it, and if I see it, others see it, and it has nothing to do with me as your supervisor. It has me to do as your brother in Christ. I don't like it when you misrepresent my Savior, because I know your heart. So, like I said, this is a heavy thing for me. I love it. Um, I pray that God continues to give me opportunities to share. Um, if you are challenged by this uh, just know that I'm I'm happy to pray for you, pray with you Um, if you're on Facebook message me anytime Um, if you've got questions about how to deal with snarky bosses who don't love the Lord or even say they hate Christians I've I've got ways to approach God's been teaching me how to approach people at the workplace in a way that doesn't shut them down, it's not a hey can I tell you about the Romans road kind of a thing, it's how do you serve them and soften their heart through applying all those things that Paul talked about, putting on kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience? Being, I mean, imagine if your boss were all those things. How different would you approach him? I'm very thankful that God's given me just the brokenness to, know, to, to finally see this and understand it. Um, and I just pray that if you're in that same situation that you'll hear um five thousand six hundred and eighty five hours is a lot of custom